0: here tonight i know there's other people who are trying to get here and some who are sick so just watch over them and be with pastor as he shares this evening in jesus name Right. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see each and every one of you here tonight. Um, I'm excited to be here, and I just praise God that you are here tonight as well. And I want to welcome you along with, uh, you know, uh, with what my pastor uh, shared tonight about uh, welcoming you to uh, encounters with Jesus. This is what it's all about. And I um, hope and pray that you've had a blessed week, a good week, and thank God we're here. Right, Friday night. And uh, what a way to end the week is uh, having an encounter with Christ. So before I begin tonight, I'd like to um, have a word of prayer, and then we will go right into um, the message for this evening. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for your goodness to each and every one of us. Lord, I'm thankful for those who are here in person, those who will be watching online. And Father, I just pray tonight that uh, you would just, Pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. Holy Spirit, please come and fill this place and, and uh, speak to our hearts in a very special way through your word tonight. I also pray that we will have a personal encounter with Jesus. May he be lifted up. In fact, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so, Father, we're praying tonight that Jesus will be lifted up, that he will be glorified, that we will have a personal encounter with him tonight, thank you, Lord. Bless us as we open up your Word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to begin tonight by sharing with you that I just concluded um, a series. You know, last week was uh, the Passion Week or the Holy Week, um, celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on one Sunday. They call it Palm Sunday, and then you go through the week, and then we end up at Resurrection Sunday. So this past Sunday I completed or concluded a, a series based on that week where Jesus entered into to Jerusalem, um, you know, according to prophecy on a cult. And he entered in, it was called the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday, where they all were praising him and laying the palms and their clothes on the ground as he was making his way down to Jerusalem. And then on Monday he went in and cleansed the temple. Then on Tuesday he was teaching the people in parables and stories um, you know messages about the kingdom of God, and then on Wednesday, even though they they, they refer to it as Silent Wednesday, um, we took time to pray and look over a prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 and reflect it over what Christ had done. Then on Thursday night, on Thursday night, that's when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. And he also washed their feet, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And then on Thursday evening, late evening, and early Friday morning, um, on Friday we went through the trials and the crucifixion of Jesus. That's why it's called Good Friday, because Jesus died on that Friday. Then he rested on the Sabbath. And, um, you know, one of the things that we came away with that was what it means to rest in God, what it means to rest in his love and what he has done. And then, after resting in the tomb on Sabbath, he resurrected on the first day of the week. That's why it's called Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And so, that's what we went through last, uh, last week, and I praise God. We had five people who were baptized um, from that series and had a personal encounter with Christ. They gave their lives to Jesus, and I was just so excited to see um, how people were encountering Christ. Experiencing healing in their lives, experiencing healing with their marriages, with their families, praying for their children, praying for healing in um, all kinds of different ways. We're talking about spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. We're talking about healing in all those ways, and 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 Christ provides healing for us. And so, I just wanted to share that with you. I, I that's why I'm excited about this series, is because we're gonna we're gonna make it. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about having an encounter with Him. I want to share a little bit with you about my background. Um, as Pastor mentioned, my father was a, you know, pastor, and I'm from um, the Pacific Islands, from Samoa, and so I grew up in a pretty big family. There were 12 of us kids. There were 10 boys and two girls, and uh, my father was a pastor. My mother was a an amazing prayer warrior, and I want to share with you that, uh, you know, I've had my experiences, all my brothers and myself, even my sisters had experiences on being out in the streets, and so um, I was involved with gang activity, dealing drugs, um, doing drugs, alcohol, um, in and out of the system, and so I've been in those spaces. I know what it's like to be in darkness. I know what it's like to be in a place where, um, you know, I was—I felt like I was totally disconnected from God. But I'm here to share with you, testify that God never stopped pursuing me. God always came after me and I praise God for my praying mother that God rescued me from the streets. He rescued me from that lifestyle. He rescued me from the darkness and those spaces that I was in and now by the grace of God I am praising God and I am presenting and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can testify for what God has done personally in my life. I can testify That I've had an encounter with Jesus and that he's real and all that he has done in my life that's that's why I'm sharing what I'm sharing night after night about Jesus is because I have experienced and encountered Jesus for myself and so that's my prayer is that as you come night after night um these next three weekends and we spend this time together that you will have a personal encounter with Jesus I want you to notice what we're going to look at tonight, Jesus and the prophet, Jesus and the prophet. I'd like to share something with you that comes from the pen of C.S. Lewis, a former, a former atheist. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became a Christian who had an encounter with God, who had an encounter with God, and became, became a Christian and a defender of the faith. And, you know, C.S. Lewis is the author of books like The Lion, the Witch, and The Wardrobe, and many other books, Mere Christianity, and just a powerful, powerful writer and powerful uh, man of God. His, one of his best friends was J.R.R. R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit and all of those other books. They were, they were close friends. It's interesting that C.S. Lewis was an, was an atheist while J.R. Tolkien was a devout Christian, and yet they were friends. And I believe that um, J.R. Tolkien had a part to play in C.S. Lewis coming to faith and finding Jesus. But I want you to hear what he has to say, because what I'm going to share with you tonight, what I'm sharing with you tonight is the encounter that Jesus has with a prophet. Notice what C.S. Lewis writes here regarding Jesus Christ. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. We can shut him up for a fool, we can spit at him, kill him as a demon, and you can fall, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to. And so what C.S. Lewis is basically saying is that either Jesus is the greatest hoax that this world has ever seen, or he is all that he claims to be. He doesn't le- there, there's, no, there's no middle ground there for us to say he's just a great moral teacher or a great man. No, because he does not leave us with that choice. He's either or. Either he, like, like, like C.S. Lewis, and I'm in agreement with him, either he's the greatest hoax, the greatest fake, or, you know, um, imposter that the world has ever seen, or he is all that he claims to be, which is he claims to be the Son of God, he claims to be the Messiah, he claims to be the Savior of the world. And so this is what we're going to be confronted with as we are having these encounters with Jesus. And, and, and uh, that's why I love... I love what we're going to be studying here because it's so, so important for us as we have this encounter with him because we are going to be confronted with this choice. (laughs) I want you to notice, if you go with me in your Bibles or on your devices, and I'm going to have some slides for us as well, Um, to the Gospel of John, Chapter 1. The Gospel of John, Chapter 1, and I'm going to put up a a profile for you up there. Each night we're going to have a profile for you every night of the individuals that had an encounter with Christ. And by the way, each encounter is, is amazing. You don't want to miss the one tomorrow night. The one tomorrow night is Jesus and the Insider. Jesus and the Insider, or Nicodemus. But I want you to notice, I want you to look at the profile that we have here on John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? And when you look at, when you look at his profile, and I just put this together based upon what we have, um, in scripture and historically on John the Baptist. He was, he was born and raised in Judea or he was, you know, that's where he was raised in Judea. That's the region, um, where he, um, came from. Um, he was about, they would say anywhere between age 30, 31, 32, depending. And the reason why we say that is because, oh, check this out. So John and Jesus, John, John the Baptist and Jesus, both of them were born at a time when King Herod ordered that all the male babies be put to death, so you know what the, uh, you know what the miracle here is is that both John the Baptist and Jesus survived that ordeal, so it could be, it could be that that these two men may have been uh, for the most part the only two guys of their age in that generation i don 't know if anyone, if you ever thought about that but all the other male babies that were the same age as them, they were, they, were, they, were, they were killed by King Herod. And so these two men, because God had given them a mission and a purpose, uh, they, would, they would fulfill that mission and that purpose. Here's another thing. Um, John was also a relative of Jesus. He is a relative of Jesus. How do we know that? Well, we're going to look at some of these texts tonight. But his parents are Zachariah, who is a priest, and his mom is Elizabeth. And according to, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, we are told that Elizabeth and Jesus' mother, Mary, they're cousins. They're cousins. And so that's how you have the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, He's also known, what is he known as as well? Or what was his occupation? Well, the Bible refers to him as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I just simply put up there, the voice. And then he's also known to be a preacher. He's also called a prophet. He's also known to be the Baptist, the baptizer, the forerunner, or the one that goes before Jesus. He's also referred to as Elijah, Elijah, and also messenger. And then you guys notice a little bit on the side there, relationship. As far as we know, he was never married. He was, uh, he was a single man. Uh, he lived way out in the sticks and out in the boonies, much like Mount Vernon, I guess. Um, you know, and I... I say that, you know, I grew up in Seattle, and so, um, but I love it out here. I love it out here, man, I mean, you guys have, this is a beautiful, beautiful spot out here, beautiful country out here. Um, And then, I want you to notice, if if he had a social media account, who he was followed by. He was followed by his own disciples and the multitudes followed him wherever he went because he was an itinerant, itinerant Jewish preacher in the first century who preached throughout the region of Judea and everywhere he went, the people were following him. He was a man that was clothed with camel's hair. He had a leather, golden—I mean, um, he, he had a leather um, girdle that, around him. He 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 ate wild locusts and honey. And I mean, he just—he probably looked like a, a, a crazy man living out there. You know, you can just imagine, right? He's living out there in the wilderness by himself. He's—you uh, know—but he would come into you know the region or where the city was close by, and he would be preaching and preaching about repentance, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of these people were just, you know, um, they were just amazed at, at the preaching of this prophet. And here he was. But this is his profile. And so I want to share with you, though, uh, some of the things that John, not to be mistaken for John the Baptist, when I'm talking about John, the disciple of Jesus Christ, who wrote the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, he writes this. I want you guys to notice what what John says because because John the Baptist had such a great following and so many disciples there were people that actually believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah they actually believed that he was the one sent by God into the world to be the Messiah but he was not that man and and the Bible makes it very clear so here's what I want to share with you that one of the things that we're going to discover in our time together is this John, the gospel writer, unlike the other three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke of the other gospels, they kind of like build up a case in terms of the connection that John the Baptist has, his background, um, what, what the Old Testament says about John the Baptist, his role, and then they talk about, you know, the birth of Jesus, they talk about Christ, and all of this. John, the gospel writer, doesn't do that. He hits the ground running, and he wants to, he wants to make a case for the divinity of Jesus Christ. He wants to make a case that Jesus is the Son of God, right from the jump. He doesn't start off slowly and build a case. He starts off right at the beginning of his gospel. I want you to notice what he says, and the reason why I got this important word up here, it's called logos. Logos is a Greek word, and it basically means or equals to word that's the best translation that we can come up with in the English language, but it still doesn't do it justice. But I want, I want us to look at this. So Logos is a word, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment in, in John chapter 1. But I want you to notice where that comes from. Heraclitus is a Greek philosopher, a Greek Ionian Greek uh, uh, philosopher, and he's the one that basically came up and termed the phrase Logos. Now, in his mind, Logos was simply this force out there that held the universe and this world together. Because he, 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 he reasoned in his mind that this world cannot be organized or in order the way that it is unless there's a force behind it that's holding this world together. Or else, how could the world, right, function the way that it's functioning? How could all nature and all these things be functioning in, in the way that they, the way that they, they, you know, that they live? He says there has to be something behind it. And that was from Heraclitus. Well, Philo, the Jewish philosopher, comes along. And he takes what Heraclitus says, and he says, wait a minute, the Logos is simply God. We're talking about now he's a Jewish philosopher, and he's saying the Logos is God. The Logos is um, Elohim, talking about the God that is mentioned in Genesis, that he's the one and only true God. So he takes what Heraclitus says, and now he brings it over here and says, it is God. Well, then we have the third person, the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus Christ, who is the author of the Gospel of John, Here's what he says about the Logos. I want you to notice. In John chapter 1 verse 1, notice what he writes. He says, in the what? In the beginning was what? The Word. Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was who? Was God. So I want you guys to notice that he say that in the beginning was the word the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Here's the thing that I want us to, to really, to really ca- capture, though, is that John is actually echoing, he's actually echoing what was first stated in the book of Genesis, chapter one verse one, where it says in Genesis 1 verse one, "In the beginning, who? God created the heaven and the earth." So you see what John has done? Moses wrote Genesis. Moses wrote the first five books of the uh, Bible, including Genesis, and he writes that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. John now comes along hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, and what is he saying? He is saying, he's pointing back to Genesis, and he's saying that in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> I want to I share with you, he takes it a step further. This is his contribution to Logos. Notice what he says. Verse 14. And the word, the Logos, became what, everybody? Became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his what? His glory, the glory as, the only, as of the only begotten of the Father, full Of grace and truth. John here is referring to none other than Jesus. He is saying that this logos. The word God became flesh. And dwelt among us. The word dwelt among us there means that he moved into our neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. And because I'm from the hood. I thank Jesus that he moved into the, into the hood. Would you say amen? And so he moved into our neighborhood. By the way, if you read the Gospel of John chapter 2, actually chapter 1, the, the rest of John chapter 1, what you're going to discover is that Jesus not only was born into a poor family, not only was he born into a blended family, not, a, not only was he born into a dysfunctional family, but did you know that Jesus was also raised in the worst neighborhood of his time? It's called Nazareth. And Nazareth, according to to history and historians, they said that that was the worst neighborhood of Christ's time. So he grew up in the ghetto. Somebody should say amen. Woo! Jesus knows what it's like to walk in my shoes. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up in poverty. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up in a poor family. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up in a dysfunctional family. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up in the ghetto. He knows what it's like to grow up in the hood. And so that's the reason why, when you read further down in chapter one, um, when 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 Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, he says this: He says, "We have found the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth." Nathaniel then says to Philip, "Wait a minute. Where did you say he was from? He, Nazareth?" And then he's incredulous because then he asks the question: He says, "Has any good thing come out of Nazareth?" <laughs> That, that's, what, that's what Nathaniel did. That's what he. That was, that was his response, because he knew how wicked Nazareth was. And according to him, he was like, "Wait a minute. There's nothing good that has ever come out of Nazareth. And now you're telling me that the Messiah that we've been expecting, that we've been praying for, that he's coming from that. That he's coming from that hood? Oh man!" But then Jesus performs a miracle, and Jesus sees him praying under a fig tree, and even tells nathaniel about it and nathaniel is so he's like he's 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 amazed that christ saw him praying under the fig tree because he thought no one knew that he was there and then jesus said why do you marvel at this he says from this point on you shall see greater things and jesus performed greater miracles after that in fact there are seven signs that he performed in the gospel of john and we're going to get to some of these in just a moment but what i'm sharing with you is this family the Bible tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came down, God came down, and he took on human flesh and blood, and he was among the people. It says that, and they beheld his glory. They beheld his glory. Now, I'm just going to, for the sake of time, and I just want to make some references here. When you look up the word glory in Scripture, and you, or a concordance, or you can Google it, or whatever you want to do, you're going to discover that a lot of times in the, word, in the Bible, in the Bible, the word glory is talking about the character of God. And when Moses in Exodus chapters 33 and 34 said to God, show me your glory, the Bible says that God told him, no man has ever looked upon my face and lived. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you, in, I'm going to put you up here on, this, on the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you right here, and I'm going to pass by with my back but then the Bible describes that when he passed by, he saw all of his glory in the Lord, and it said that he was gracious, loving, patient, long-suffering, abundant in grace. So in other words, his attributes, his characteristics, that's what his glory is. And by the way, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says that God is love. That's his glory. That's his character. So you know what John is saying? John is saying that we, he said, we beheld his glory. We witnessed it because we were around him. We experienced it. Let me give you. Let me give you another one here. It's not on. The, it's not on the screen, but I'd like to read it for you. It's found in First John chapter 1, one. John chapter one, and I'll just read it for you. I want you to notice what John says here. First John chapter one. First John chapter one, and I want you to notice with me what it says here. The same John who wrote the gospel write, writes this as well. He says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our, with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I want you guys to notice that he mentions several things here. He says, we have heard him, we have seen him with our own eyes, we have looked upon him, and we have touched him. This is the testimony of John regarding Jesus. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He said, it's an impossible thing for a man to know God, like Hamlet, knowing Shakespeare. Unless Shakespeare writes himself into the story and introduces himself to Hamlet. He said, much like it's impossible for a character in a story to understand or know his author, the same is, can be said with knowing God. But I love what it says here because basically what we're seeing here is that God wrote himself into the human story when Jesus stepped into our world. That's, why we can come, that's how we can come to know God. Because think about it, if God, had not, if God had not come down in flesh, how would we really know what God is like? How would we know what his character is like unless he came and lived among men and revealed the glory of God human beings that's why that's why it's important for us to see that Jesus that God had to do this that God did not when as soon as we messed up and fell into you know and, and got uh, into sin and all this stuff that comes along with it God did not leave us and God did not like you know turn away from us God came down and he came down and took on human flesh and blood and he dwelt among us to reveal to us that he is a God of love and that he loves us That's why I'm a Christian, because I know what what God has done for me. I know what God has done for many people. I've seen many of my own family members, drug dealers, drug addicts, pimps, folks who have struggled with porn, folks who have struggled with alcohol, folks who have struggled with so many different things. I've seen them encounter Jesus, and Jesus Change their life now i'm not saying that they've arrived i'm not saying that they're perfect i'm not even perfect i'm not i haven't arrived i have struggles there are times and and there are days where man i am wrestling with things i am going through i'm going through massive struggles but i praise god though that jesus is with me through those struggles and he has seen me through those struggles and he have and he has helped me to overcome those struggles would you say amen he's real Else could who else could take a an ex convict? Somebody somebody that 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 used to drink all the time and and smoke but and smoke bud and and all this other stuff, you know, have a violent temper, always wanting to fight all the time, always wanting to hurt somebody, always always looking at people a certain way and, and and being destructive and living a destructive lifestyle. Who but God? change a person inside out like that i mean and 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 i'm telling you the joy that i'm experiencing i want to tell you right now folks it is real the peace that i have it is real and it's because of the encounter with jesus and by the way that that encounter should happen every single day and so in the first 14 verses of this chapter John, John builds a case as to why Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Logos. He is God. God the Son. The the text brings out the point that there is the Father and the Son. And they were both from eternity past. But Jesus comes down and he takes on human flesh and blood. I want you to notice also Now, beginning of verse 15, and this is where we're going to have the encounter that Jesus has with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, again, is this preacher, and he's out there preaching about the kingdom of God. He's preaching about repentance. He's baptizing people, multitudes of people. I want you to notice what it says here in the Bible. John, in verse 15 of chapter 1, the Gospel of John, it says, John the Baptist, bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he, Jesus, of whom I speak. He that comes after me is preferred or before me, for he was before me. He's talking about Jesus being, you know, uh, the Logos. And all of his fullness have we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus, which is in the bosom of the Father, he declares him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So there was a delegation of Jews that sent, uh, I should say that there were Jews that sent priests, a delegation of priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist who he was. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed. Now listen to this, but confessed. John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm the one that came before him. I'm the one that's preparing the way for him. I'm that voice in the wilderness crying out and calling people back to repentance and telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand. But I am not that man. I am not the Messiah. (laughs) So not only does John, the gospel writer, declare that John the Baptist is not the Messiah, that it's Jesus, even John the Baptist himself is making a statement here and saying, I am not that man. (laughs) And they asked him then, they asked him what then? Are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. You see, because he's not all about pumping himself up. He's not about, he's not about himself. He says, Are you that prophet? I am not. He said, I, He answered, No. Then said they unto him, Then who are you? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What do you say of yourself? Notice what he says. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet. Isaiah. You know where John is quoting from? John is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter forty. It's a prophecy regarding himself. It says that and by the way, that that Isaiah is an old testament prophet who actually wrote that thousands of years before John arrives on the scene. And he is saying that there's going to be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I wanna I think I have it on the screen. I hope I do. Um, that's what C.S. Lewis said, man cannot know God any more than a character in a book, its author, unless God writes himself into the story. Um, and so notice right here, right here, Isaiah chapter 40. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 40, Old Testament prophet, wrote this about John the Baptist. He says that he is a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what is he to do, everybody? What is the next, does the next line say? He is to prepare the what? He is to prepare the way. He is the forerunner. He is the forerunner. He is to prepare the way, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. That describes the ministry of John the Baptist in preparing a people to meet Jesus, in preparing a people to encounter Jesus. That was his ministry. That's what he was called to do. That was his mission. That was his purpose. Then notice, what's that, what's what's right after the word, uh, the beginning there? The what? Say again with me, family. The what? The glory of the Lord shall be what? Revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So notice the tense. It's saying that the, the, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, meaning future shall be revealed. What did we just read in? the gospel of john chapter 1 verse 14 john said we have beheld his glory <laughs> past tense or present tense He's saying, listen that which isaiah spoke of way back when about the glory of god someday to be revealed he's saying we beheld that glory we saw that glory we were around that glory we encountered that glory we saw his character Can you imagine? I mean, the excitement. See, think about it. Think about it. We're talking about Old Testament prophecy, hundreds or thousands of years before it even actually takes place. This is how we know that you can take the word of God and you can can bank on it. The word of God, the validity and the veracity of the word of God is sure. Because what God says is going to happen, it does come to pass just as he said. Predicted prophesied it came to pass and when you when you look at this that's why john hears even john in his reply to that delegation of priests and levites who come and question him he's saying to them i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord as the prophet isaiah said and they which were sent were of the pharisees and they asked him and said unto him Why do you baptize then? If you are not Christ, if you are not Elijah, if you are not that prophet, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing, where John was baptizing. And then I want to get to this text. I want to get to this text, and then we're going to get to the final passages for tonight. Verse 29, it says, and the next day, John sees Jesus. Here's the encounter. I want you to think about this. Jesus comes from Galilee. John has been ministering and laboring in Judea. They had never had an encounter prior to what they're, they're, they're now just going to meet for the very first time. And, 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 and when we're thinking about it, Jesus has been on earth now for about approximately 30 years. And his public ministry would be for three and a half years. John the Baptist now is going to meet Jesus, his relative, his cousin, for the very first time. Oh yeah, they had an encounter earlier on when you read the scriptures and it says that both Mary and Elizabeth came together and they were both pregnant. And the Bible says that, that Elizabeth, would, Elizabeth said that, um, that her child leaped for joy in her belly when, when, he, when, when, he, when, he came, when he had an encounter with the baby Jesus in Mary's womb. He, he, he leaped for joy as if he knew who was in the other womb. And now, fast forward 30-plus years later, for the very first time, these two are having an encounter. They had, they had, been, they had, been, ministry, they had been ministering apart. And so no one can say that they were, they, were, they were like in cahoots or there was some type of conspiracy here where both of them, you know, worked together. No, 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 no. They had been separate in their labors the entire time and now they are having an encounter I want you guys to notice the next day John the Baptist sees Jesus coming unto him and says behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world whoa can you imagine family can you imagine John had been baptizing in the Jordan River he sees Jesus right there on the banks of the Jordan, right? And if you, if you look at the story and you corroborate the story with the other Gospels where it talks about how Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan, and, and, and John even says to Jesus, he says, listen, he says, I'm unworthy to baptize you. In fact, I'm the one that should be baptized of you. It should be the other way around. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. To which Jesus responds and says, let us fulfill all righteousness. For this moment, we have come together. For this moment, we are, we've had this encounter. And now John is saying, and listen, he's not saying it under his breath. He's not saying it to himself. He's actually proclaiming to all those who are gathered there, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the entire world. In other words, all he, when, when he's saying the Lamb of God, he is referring to all the sacrifices all the, sh- sh- all the shadows and types in the Old Testament of all the sacrifices of lambs that the Israelites would bring um, to the sanctuary day after day, that all pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And John recognized in Jesus, he said that that right there is the lamb. Right there is the one that all these sacrifices, all these types and shadows have been pointing to the entire time. And he is here. The lamb of God is here. The Messiah, the logos, the word God in the flesh is among us. Can you imagine as he say that, the people must have all turned and looked and said, where? Who? Who's he talking about? Who's he referring to? And it was Jesus right there. This is what that encounter was about. It was about John proclaiming to the multitude and to the people gathered there at the Jordan River that the Lamb, your Messiah, the one that we have been praying for, the one that had been prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, the one that all the sacrifices pointed to, He is here. That's why when you, look at, when you look at the Old Testament, they're all pointing to Jesus. They're all pointing to the coming Messiah. And now he has arrived, just as the prophecies had predicted. Man, I wish I could impact this even more and go deeper into all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first advent or the first time he came to this planet. But man, you ought to look at it. You ought to research it. You ought to go through those Old Testament prophecies and see how Jesus fulfilled it to the T. He fulfilled all those prophecies. He is who he claims to be. Man. The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That's why Christ came. He came to die for our sins. He came to, he came to redeem us and to save us from sin. That's why over there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew 1, verse 23. His name's his names encapsulate the entire plan of salvation. You know, you want to know what it is? It's really simple. It says, you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. So the name Jesus means, really, Savior. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. And then it says, and you shall also call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So check this out. In his two names, you have the entire plan of salvation. He has come to save us from our sins. And the way that he does that is that he came down to dwell with man. And not only that, by saving us from our sins, he wants us to live and to dwell with him eternally. Y'all, man, y'all, just too quick. See, what's going to happen, you're going to discover in our time together for these encounters with Jesus. I'm going to be excited every single night because of what Christ has done. I mean, to me, this is mind-blowing stuff. That God would descend, that God would leave his throne from on high. I'm talking about God the Son. That he would leave his throne. that 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 he would descend all the way down here to planet Earth. That he would enter into the womb of a woman that he created become an embryo. You see, we have, we have three precious children. We have a 16-year-old daughter. We have a 4-year-old son and a 3-year-old daughter. And every single time I pick up one of my little kids and I, look at, and I look them in the face and I wrap my arms around my children, I am amazed each time as I look at them that, that God, that God the Son, once upon a time, entered into our world and became a baby Uh, by the way, I'm going to say something here that, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna develop this further as we're going along. But the Bible tells me that Jesus, even now in heaven, as our high priest and interceding for us, in other words, he's, he's our advocate, he's our lawyer, he's praying for us. Do you know what form he actually has in heaven right now? He has a human form. We have one who is standing before the Father in human form. You know what that means, Brian? That means that Jesus, that Jesus by becoming flesh and blood has decided and chosen to become one with the human race for all eternity. Forever one with the human family. He bears our form before the throne of God. Think about that. I mean forever. That's why he said. In the gospel of John. Chapter 14, 15 and 16. He said. It is, it is important that I go away. Because now. I'm in a human body. I can't be everywhere at once. I'm in a human body. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Who can be everywhere and virtual. <laughs> and so. He has a human body in heaven right now because he is the representative of the human race before the Father. There are two things that Christ wanted to do when he came here to planet earth. One is reveal what the Father is like because the devil lied about him for so long. That's why in John chapter 14 verse 9 and 10 and 11 one of his disciples said, Philip said, show us the father. Show us, show us the father and we'll be satisfied. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, how long have I been with you, Philip? And you still haven't seen him? He who has seen me has seen the father. You see all these all these benevolent acts of love that I've, that I've done to the poor, all the healing, the lepers, and, and raised the dead, and and open the eyes of the blind, and, and open the ears of the deaf, and help the lame man to walk, raise the dead, uh, a, widow's, a widow's son in Nain. I raised him to life. I went and raised a 12-year-old girl to life. A woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years reached out and touched the hem of my garment, and she was healed. How can you, how can you say, show us the Father when I've revealed to you what the Father's like? You see, the two things that, God, that Jesus wanted to do. Is he wanted to reveal to us what God the Father's like. And then he also wanted to reveal to he also wanted to reveal to us what man can be when we have an encounter with him. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. I, I want to say here this is he of whom I said, verse 30 after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Again, he's talking about. The pre existence of Jesus Christ. Whenever you hear that, John, both John, John the R- Gospel writer and John the Baptist is speaking about the pre existence of Jesus Christ. Talking about his divinity. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, wherefore am I come, baptizing with water? And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, talking about the baptism of Jesus, and it and it abode upon him. And I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. That is the testimony of John the Baptist after his encounter with Jesus. Let me, let me close with this. Okay. Right here Right here, the first, Isaiah chapter 40, was a, was a uh, prophecy of John the Baptist. Isaiah chapter 35 is a prophecy of Jesus. I want you to notice what it says. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory, the what? There's that word again. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the what? They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Again, that's future tense. I want you to notice what happens. It says that when you see the glory of the Lord, this is what the glory of the Lord is going to look like. It says that strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear, be strong, do not fear behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then notice, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. See, this is all pointing to the ministry of Jesus Christ when he would come to this earth, because what did he do? He did exactly everything that's mentioned there in that list. He's the one that opened the eyes of the blind. He's the one that um, open and unstop the ears of the deaf he's the one that caused the the lame to walk he's the one that caused the mute to sing he's the one that raised the dead back to life he's the one that healed those who were sick those who were dealing with mental issues emotional issues physical issues spiritual issues relational issues Jesus was bringing healing to all those people in those spaces I got news for you Jesus can do the very same thing tonight because he hasn't changed. Now, why is this important? Well, notice what, what, how it closes. For well, water shall burst forth where? In the wilderness, and streams in the desert. You see, John came to prepare the way, <laughs> and then Jesus comes and he brings waters. Man, I can't wait to get to the next, uh, we have next weekend, we're going to talk about Jesus as an encounter with the woman at the well where he claims that he is the living water. That's going to, man, that's going to be a wonderful encounter. You don't want to miss that one. But now let's go to the final one. Why is this important? And, and, And now I'm going to bring it to a close. Let me finish up. You remember John the Baptist's profile, right, at the beginning? He's a what? He's a voice. He's a prophet he's a forerunner, he's a preacher, he's a baptizer, he's the Baptist. This is, this is what he had been called. This was his purpose by God. We read also in Isaiah chapter 40, we read where it outlined for us his mission, his purpose. But now I want you guys to notice something. As great of a man of God as John the Baptist was, he, and, and, and by the way, he was faithful In his mission. In fact, he even told Herod, King Herod, that the woman that you are with now is not your wife. Repent. You're committing adultery. And I believe that John was saying that because he loved Herod. He wanted Herod to be saved. He wanted Herod to have an encounter with God. But you know what happened? Herod and his wife, or that woman, Herodias, arrested John. They throw him in a dungeon. They throw him in a dungeon. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I was at my lowest point. Even as a minister of the gospel there're still times where i hit a low point there're still times when i question god not in terms of are you there or do you exist no that's settled in my heart i know i know i know there's a god what i question is lord is this my purpose is this my calling Why am I struggling? Why do I need to seek for validation? Why do I need to seek for appreciation for the work that you are doing in me? That's what I question at times. Imagine John. faithful all these years to his calling. And now he's thrown in prison. I believe when I read the text and I read the other passages, I believe that John is struggling. I believe that the devil now is wanting John to doubt God. Question God. Lord, why am I here? Why why am I sitting in this dungeon by myself? You don't think that there were thoughts of doubt and despondency and maybe despair that might have crept in where he might have questioned, Why am I sitting in this jail cell? Why am I sitting in this prison? Some might even wonder, why am I why am I in this hospital bed? I want you to notice what happens. Notice notice what, what, what goes on here. He's in prison now. And by the way, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John the Baptist, this is talking about John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? You see, the, you hear the question. He sends two of his disciples to Jesus, and he says, "I want you to ask him. Are you the one?' Or should we expect somebody else?" You see, I want you to, I want you to understand. He just declared, "Not," I mean, a while a while before that, "Behold, the Lamb." Behold the lamb that will save the world, the planet, from their sin. And now he's like, are you the one? You see, you have to understand because now he's in prison and he's wondering, man, did I fulfill my purpose? Did I fulfill the mission that God gave me? Man, did, did did I get the job done? Because if not, then, I mean, can you imagine the disappointment that maybe was going on in his mind? That man, if I had not fulfilled my mission, he might, be, he might not be the Messiah. He might not be the one. So now, i got to question my own purpose, my own mission. I love Christ's response. Whenever you need... A word of hope, a word of assur- assurance, a word of affirmation. God will give it to you. Jesus saying to the disciples, he said, he answered and said to them, go and tell John. You see, because John knows the book of Isaiah, now Jesus is actually going to take him back to the book of Isaiah and remind him of his own mission, talking about Jesus' mission. Notice what he said, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. (laughs) He's quoting. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 35. He is validating his own mission. And by quoting from scripture, and by quoting what What John knows to be prophetic, what John knows to be the truth, he is saying to John's disciples, go and take the message back to him and tell them, tell John what you see and hear, that the lame, that the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Can you imagine what John must have felt when he came back with that message? I'm ready to die. Mission accomplished. God has fulfilled his purpose and mission for my life. I mean, Mark Twain said this that the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day you find out why. John knew. You know when he got that answer? Folks, it's one thing to live a full life. It's another thing to live a fulfilled life. (laughs) See, you can live a full life. You can, like, you know, me, you know, out in the world, enjoying the things of the world. But I'm going to tell you right now. All that stuff that I did, all that stuff that I was engaged in, all that stuff that I was involved in, I never, ever, ever found satisfaction in those things. It was only when I had an encounter with Jesus that I found true satisfaction and discovered my purpose and mission that God had placed on my life. I want to tell you right now that John, John, I believe with all my heart. And then you know what? You know what happened shortly thereafter? After, after you read, when you go to chapter 14 of John, or you, go to, you, you, you read the rest of the story, shortly thereafter, John is put to death. Herod Antipas and Herodias, you know, Herod gets drunk, right, at a birthday party. Herodias comes up with a plan to, to, to shut up the voice once and for all. She has her daughter dance for Herod and all those who are at the feast. Herod then says, "If you would dance for me, I will give you up to the half of my kingdom or anything that you ask for, I will give it to you." And her mom says, "I want you to go and ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter." And so John the Baptist is, he loses his life, but not after but not until Jesus gives them the assurance that his mission has been fulfilled and the purpose for God and the purpose of God for his life has been fulfilled. I want to tell you, they thought that they could shut that voice up once and for all. But can I tell you that even to this very day, the story and the voice of John the Baptist can still be heard all around the globe. And I want to tell you that Jesus himself said, there's not a man born among women that is greater than John the Baptist. A humble, itinerant preacher who perished alone in a dungeon. I'm not going to say alone because God was with him even though though he suffered that death. But can I tell you, that John was ready, he was ready to die and ready to take his rest. I've seen it. I've seen people who are ready for the rest because they've fulfilled the mission of their life. My mom, 2009, 2010, my wife was her primary caregiver for the last three years of her life in our home. And I want to tell you, even though her body was racked with pain, even though she was suffering, physically, and oh yeah, she had her moments. She had her moments. My, I mean, my mom struggled too. I, I I just think about my mom and John the Baptist. She struggled too. There were some things, you know, but she was ready to take her rest. In fact, she told my wife. She says, "I'm tired. I'm ready to take my rest and wait for Jesus to come again someday to wake me up." <laughs> And mom fell peacefully asleep in our home. And I want to tell you, she didn't see me come back to Jesus. Physically, with her physical eyes. But she believed it in her heart. Because she had a personal encounter with God. And she knows what God can do. And now, by the grace of God, and because of her prayers, her son, is allowing God to fulfill his purpose and his calling and his plan for my life. And he has a purpose for yours. See, this is what an encounter with Jesus does. And what I'm trying to say, family, to close is even as a Christian, we're not promised. We're not promised that things are going to be easy That things are, all of a sudden, you're not going to experience ups and downs, highs and lows, struggles. No. But he does promise that his presence will be with us through those ups and downs, highs and lows, and struggles. Aren't you thankful that in the storms of life, Jesus is with us? He's present? Yeah, he's with us. So, I agree with what Mark Twain says that the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day you find out why. You might be thinking here tonight, man, I'm here. I mean, I, obviously I was born. Now the next thing I need to find out is why? What is the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? And I'm going I'm to share with you, family, you can leave this you can leave this church tonight and be like you'll never truly be you'll never truly be satisfied. Unless you have Christ in your life to fulfill the purpose for why you're here. Cuz the truth of the matter is we're going to try to fill it with all this other stuff and it just doesn't satisfy. It just doesn't work. That's why we keep dipping. That's why we keep going to it. So my appeal to you tonight as we close with prayer, and by the way, if there's anybody in the room and those who are joining us online who would like to just, you know, say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to, I'm willing to give you a try i wanted willing to, to, to say, you know, I want to find out my purpose for why I'm here, your purpose for my life. And if there's anybody in the room, you know, tonight that would like to have special prayer when we're done, because uh, the reason why we're offering this to, to, to folks and Pastor, Pastor Don, myself, and other church family will be here, we want to offer, offer because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the healing power of God. There might be somebody, and by the way, let me just say this: the church is made up of broken people, including the pastor. That might that might that might that might, that might come that might come as a surprise to some. Some people are like what? What do you mean, man? We thought, man, the pastor, man, had it all together. No, 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 no. We 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 need Jesus just as much as anyone else in this room. And I'm the fr- I, listen, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need prayer. So if there's anybody that wants to join us up front afterwards for special prayer, for whatever reason, maybe you want to pray for your family, maybe you want to pray for your children, maybe you want to pray for your spouse, maybe you want to pray for, you know, your relationship with your coworkers, a boss that you can't stand, um, whatever it might be, Uh, we want to pray for you and with you. So, That's my appeal tonight. Those who are joining us online, please indicate in the chat. Um, If you want any special prayer, please put in your prayer request. Put in your prayer request. We'll pray for you. I believe in the power of prayer. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you tonight for this powerful, powerful encounter that we've had with you. As we looked at the encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist, we recognize... Father, that I love what John said. You know, he, he never propped himself up. He never, he never puffed himself up. He never like, you know, when, when he was asked the questions, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? To each and every one, he said, no, I'm not. I'm not that, I'm not that man. I'm not. Lord, he was displaying a humility, a dependence, a reliance upon you. Father, I pray. That each and every one of us, Lord, that we would that we would that we would cast our cares and our burdens upon you, that we would not lean on our own pride and and, and, and think, you know, man, I don't have, I don't need this. I don't I don't have a need of, of God. I don't I don't, I don't need uh, you know um to have my sins forgiven or or healing. I don't need any of that. Please, dear God, I pray that you would help us to recognize our need of Jesus. Our need of of your presence in our lives. Please quench that thirst, that deep, that deep soul thirst. Fulfill your purpose for our lives and for our existence, Lord. Why? Why are we here? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? We're so thankful that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. I want to pray for all those who are joining us here in person. Those who are joining us online, I pray, dear God, that each one of us had a fresh encounter with Jesus tonight. I don't know what people are going through, but you know. And I just pray, dear God, that as folks are making their way home tonight, that you would keep them safe. And that you would continue, Lord, to massage their hearts and draw them to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say. Amen. Amen. Well, family, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. I want to wish you a good night. The one thing, again, if you have any prayer requests, anyone that wants to join us for special prayer uh, for a few minutes up front, uh, feel free to come and join us. Uh, but if not, I want to wish you a good night. Tomorrow night, you don't want to miss it. Jesus and the insider. Jesus and the insider. Um, it's another powerful encounter that y- it's, going to, it's going to open up your your eyes to So many things. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And uh, please drive home safe tonight and know that you are in our prayers. God bless.